Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble falling asleep? Well, welcome. You're in the right place. This is Sleep With Me, the podcast that puts you to sleep. And we do it with an episode discussion, because tonight's Game of Drones, our Game of Thrones podcast, where we take an episode of Game of Thrones and we talk about it. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. I'm going to do the rest. And the way it works is a podcast is going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever your brain is pestering about, whatever you've been thinking about, worrying about, planning about, fantasizing about. I mean, fantasies, and let's be honest, uh, they can keep you up. Oh, boy. Or, you know, I mean, there's ways of dealing with it, but it's still going to keep you up. Or what a off track already. Whatever is distracting you from falling asleep. We're going to distract you from that. And then you just got to listen to me talk about the episode. And it's going to go on. I'm going to talk about one thing. And I'm going to be like, huh, that you know what that, um, that candle made me think of like candle wax. And how come uh, candle wax like melts this way? That's not in this episode, but that could happen someday that I would just talk about that. And that's the summary. So if this is your first time here and you watch Game of Thrones, we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 6. If you don't watch Game of Thrones, give it a try. See if it works. It works for some people. It doesn't work for everybody. If it doesn't doesn't work or you're against Game of Thrones for some reason, I mean, honestly, you should check it out. You should give it a it's fair shot. It's an unbelievably well-made, well-told well story. Hey, George R. R. Martin. Well-made show, Weiss and Benioff, brilliantly cast, acted, written, directed. It's a whole package, total package, TP. That's to- toilet paper, but Game of Thrones is not toilet paper. But but if you if you're no interest in it, we have other stuff on Tuesdays and Thursdays, not Game of Thrones re- re- related. But that's it. We're a podcast, but just sleep. I can't really pitch it any more than that. I'm a strange teller of tales. Or a teller of strange tales. Strange teller of strange tales. Let's, I mean, come on. Uh, well, I'd like to beat around the bush, but that's the truth. And, and strange can be good. So, welcome. I hope this podcast works for you. Uh, if you've been here before, I'm glad you're still here. Believe me, I thought you'd be gone a long time ago. So, so good to have you back. Hey, you look great. You smell great. Your hair has something different about it. I don't know if it's your smile or your hair. Anyway, you do, you, you're, you look great. I'm glad you're back. And you new people, you you look great when you got here. But we're on the web, www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Thrones episodes are at Game of Drones, I call it, not Thrones. You know, get it? Droning, droning on. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, explain a joke there. Uh, game, we're at on the web at uh, WWS. Game of Drones episodes are at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. If you need to get a hold of me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast. You can, that's the email. You can find me on Twitter at Dearest Scooter, on Facebook, Sleep With Me Podcast. Comment on the website. Wonderful, wonderful people out there saying hi, and I'm going to cover you guys when I talk to the old gods and the new. We also have a P.O. Box, P.O. Box, Sleep With Me Podcast, P.O. Box 1751, Alameda, California, 94501. 
You could send me a self-addressed stamped envelope. If you're not from the U.S. of A., just send a, a, a self-addressed envelope. I'll, I'll take it, and I'll open it. I will bring it home, and at some point I'll open it or whatever. I'll put three pages of outlines that I do at the show, and I'll mail it back to you, and you can see if you're curious uh, if the podcast looks any better on paper. I'll tell you what, it looks worse. I mean, it's my handwriting's not good. I didn't do, you know, it's outline. So, but you check it out, you know. I don't anticipate them being ever worth anything. They'll be worth less than a piece of paper, you know, a clean piece of paper because it's writing on it. But maybe you'll just have five minutes of fun, maybe maybe ten. Uh, it'll cost you a dollar-ish. So that's it. Uh, I'm glad you're here. And let's get on to the show. Game of Drones. All right, so we're talking about Season 1, Episode 6, A Golden Crown. And we're going to run through the episode really quick. This one's this one should be quicker than normal. Why? I have no idea. My notes are, uh, well, let's just see what happens. Why, why, I gotta, why do I always have to prejudge everything as good or bad? Is a question I ask myself many a time. But you don't need to ask yourself that because this podcast is going to be it's going to be good for you, all right? You're going to get a good night's sleep, all right? So Golden Crown, I wonder, what, wonder why they titled it a Golden Crown. Well, oh, one question I had, I'm going to crowdsource this one. At the opening of the episode, you know, they have the that, like, um, metal stuff, the circular, circular, circular metal stuff spinning around, that eye-looking thing, and it's spinning and make the noise at the beginning and the end before they do the uh, clockwork cities. What's I know there's like a stag on there and a lion stuff. I want to, I gotta, if you have a chance to look into what else is on there. This episode looked like there was some other stuff on there, but I wasn't paying enough attention because it was like right at the beginning of the episode. I was eating a zinger and trying to get my pen ready, poised to start taking notes and trying to finish my zinger. Before that, you know, zingers are like kind of like a Twinkie, but they have like a strawberry stripe. Probably not. Uh, to be honest, they're probably disgusting. They have coconut on them too, and I, I, hopefully, I won't eat them again for like a year or two. But they're also delightfully, you know, delightful at the same time. So, uh, golden crown. We, we don't know what that carving is. I don't know on the metal, but it starts out with Ned in bed, a little Ned in bed. Ned and Bet bumped his head, and something else that rhymes with Ned. Soon, he would need a shield of lead, or else the man he would be. Okay, Poe, dial it down. And then we have uh, so Ned and Ned and Bet. Then we get Cersei and Robert, and all this intensity. And then I like how he's in bed. He's he's in a, like an invalid care situation, but right at the foot of his bed, he's got a care for wine, ready to go. And Robert's like, you know, thank goodness these nurses thought to put this wine here for me to drink. Otherwise, I don't think I could tolerate being in this room. I mean, if every hospital room would have, uh, you know, drinks on tap, think about how much, I mean, I'm not saying this is a good thing or a bad thing. Part of me is like, well, this would be a really good thing for me. 
I mean, not anymore, but to be able to go to Ohio, I mean, talk about relief of, oh, I don't know about visiting mom. Well, I wonder how many beers I could drink while I'm there. I don't have to pay for them. And I heard this hospital she's in now, it's got an IPA on tap. That was my drink, one of them. And red wine, that wasn't one, but I mean, if that was what they had at the hospital, I'd drink that. You know, and just suck down some drinks. Well, oh, yeah, you're. Yeah, tell me again about your bunions. Hold on, let me get a refill here. Man, if you got a private bathroom, right, Mom? Okay, okay, I got to focus here. I'm way off. But so Ned's in bed, careful wine. He says, I'm the king. I get what I want. Tells him, Ned, you're the brother I would choose. Or you're the brother I choose. Then we get a scene with Daenerys putting the dragon eggs in the fire. We get the hint that she's a little bit fireproof because the girl comes in, gets burned. Danny doesn't. Is it okay to call her Danny at this point? I don't know, but she doesn't get burned. We get a shot of Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven in the crypts again. Every time I see the Three-Eyed Raven, it makes me want to say, Three-Eyed Raven, so, so raven. Green-Eyed Lady, I think is the name of the song. I think I sang it the last time I saw the. I know a lot of times when I sing, it, what it sounds like to me, it sounds like the song because it's playing in my head, but to you it might be like, well, yeah, so I don't know, but, uh, you know, Green-Eyed Lady or whatever that song is, groovy song. And then we get Bran on a horse, not with a green-eyed raven or a three-eyed raven. And, you know, I hate to be uh, judge, judgmental of people's behavior, but, and I don't know if it's on purpose or just where I'm at or the mood I'm at when I'm watching these episodes, but these Starks, they really are poorly behaved. I'd like to sit Caitlin down and Ned and I'd be like, okay, let's put aside all this stuff with the hand and the dagger and your kid uh, being pushed out the window. What the hell are you guys do? Who, who's running the show? That that like uh, that nun type lady and then this old bald guy? Because your kids are brats, most of them. Jon Snow, I mean, he's, ha- he's half a kid. He, his behavior is a kid and a half. You got uh, Theon Greyjoy. He's no... Charmer, but your kids are—they're uh, they're dropping highborn attitude everywhere. And I know when you put them next to a kid like Joff, but whatever. Okay, so I thought Rob was a little bit mean to Theon. Not, I mean Theon's a jerk, but it doesn't mean you get to be treat him how you want. Then Bran gets surrounded. Yeah, this whole to, to do, and then uh, he's mean to Theon again. Come on, he, she, you know he's trying to help. He doesn't, he's not good at helping. Doesn't mean you gotta be a dick. Then we get Tyrion in the sky cell with this guy, Mord, again. Mord's hitting him with something. I think that's called a blackjack, but I'm not sure. Then we have Sirio and uh, Arya. Arya's a little bit better, but this scene isn't, she's like, I don't wanna practice. And he's like, oh, you're troubled, little lady. That reminds me of the song Trouble by Ray LaMontagne. And for some reason, the way my brain works is that. If I'm if I hear a song in a place, it's like my brain's hardwired. So I think it was somewhere in the mountains, California mountains, Tahoe, coming or going, when I first heard that song. So my brain and that song are, are tied together in that way. I cannot. Even, I won't even try to sing that song. So it's like I would need to like scream for a couple hours. But trouble, trouble. That, that doesn't sound like that. Sound like a frog. But anyway, he says. Trouble's perfect time to practice because, I mean, when the hell else are you going to need to be fighting for your life 
except when you're in trouble. And he says, you know, some of the religion comes up. He says, there's only one God. His name is Death. And the only thing we can say to him is not today. Then we see the Khaleesi, Danny, Daenerys, whatever. She's eating a, a stallion's heart. And everyone's going, rock, rock, rock. Rock. I think they're saying rock, rock, root. I, I tried to figure that out. I was having trouble finding someplace that referenced what they were saying. I was like, rock, rock, rug, and translating it. Then you have a punk brother trying to steal a dragon egg. Sir Jorah's like, not, not today, man. Uh, I don't like you, one. Two, I hate you. Three, I can hear what you're saying about me and your sister. And one, I'm, I mean... I mean, Sojourner's not so delusional. You know, he's aware that Kyle Drogo's got about two feet on him, about 100 pounds of muscle. His face, no offense to Sojourner, I love Sojourner, but, you know, Kyle Drogo is, is, is very uh, appealing, I think, more appealing than Sojourner kind of looks like. His face face a little baseball glovey, be honest. He's been in the sun too much. Khal Drogo, much, much younger and uh, handsomer, I guess. He's got, you know, but uh, Sir Jor's a great guy. He's, you know, but he's not, he, he's got, whatever his feelings for Khaleesi are, he doesn't think, he doesn't, he knows he doesn't stand a chance, I don't think. I don't know. So you don't got to rub it in in those situations. And most people, even jerks are going to know that, but not the dragon, oh. So the dragon gets, uh, a little come up in Sarah from Jorah. But he also has this sad moment where he says, who can rule without wealth or fear or love? He's got, so, so that's it. He's low, he's like, hey, I got low self-esteem. Is that, that does not excuse your actions, but it explains it. But we already knew that, I mean. Anyway, yeah. Go back to the sky cell. I noticed they had a, a shot kind of from above the sky. She's got uh, from above the sky, from above the sky cell, and it had those little sticks sticking out on the arches. I don't know if those were to keep birds from landing there, but I thought that was interesting. These sticks poking out of the arches. It's like, okay, you've got bird protection so that the birds don't poop on the prisoners. That you're, uh, you know, you got sewage flowing out there. They're on, but I'm not sure. It was just something that stuck out to me. Then you get Tyrion confessing his crimes. Very great, good scene. Very entertaining. Here's a funny uh, line. Uh, it, it sounded like a setup of an old-fashioned joke. A jackass and a honeycomb walk into a brothel. I mean, that wasn't his line. I'm paraphrasing. And they're like, oh, hold it, hold on. Open the moon door. We don't need that joke. And this was like very Odyssey or Iliad. I think Odyssey, when, uh, you know, you got this married, well, formerly married woman you got her son who hasn't gone into manhood yet. And you got all these dudes sitting around. I mean, in this case, her husband is actually dead. But in, in the Odyssey, was that the end of the Odyssey? You got these guys waiting, walk, walk, you know, trying to romance Odysseus's wife, uh, seduce her, and be like, oh, yeah, he's not coming back. You should marry me. You got these guys, oh, I'll stand up for you against this. Yeah, you're real brave. One. Who cares if you become the captain of the Vale or whatever the hell it's called? This lady's bonkers, dude. You kiss her the wrong way. Or like, what if you uh, you don't shave 
and you make out with her. And she's like, you cut my face, moon door. Okay, I'm saving, you know, don't, don't do it, boys. But then Tyrion demands trial by combat. Oh, that was before. Should have told that already, but whatever. And then Sir Vardis, Verdis. This guy seems like a nice enough guy. He's like, fair enough. I'll, I'll take care of the. I can take care of business here. And then you got this guy, Bronn, kind of sitting out in the back of the shadows, chilling. Guy seems like he's amused by everything. He's like, I'll stand for the dwarf. And uh, you can tell there's a twinkle in this guy's eye. I'll tell you that much. And then we got Barristan Selmy, I think is his name. Robert Renly and that Lannister kid. Uh, out hunting and drinking, which, I mean, you don't have to ask Dick Cheney if hunting and drinking don't go together, okay? And uh, plus, it's like, just you, you, Robert, man, cool it. But I guess, you know, I understand. Talks about making the eight, sleeping with a maiden or a woman from every uh, uh, kingdom or, or whatever land. And we go back because... Uh, Go back, Ned stuck working as the uh, hand. They got this trouble with this guy named the Mountain. He was the jerk from that ruined the joust. He happens to be brothers with the Hound, and he's causing all sorts of trouble, burning stuff. I think, or you know, bothering farmers. Ned Ned's not having it, so he's like, "Hey, Barrick Donaldson or something." He's like, "Track this guy down, take him out." And then uh, you got that jackass maester there who's a total, I mean, Lannister frickin' douche. And then you got Littlefinger, Lord Baelish, saying, whoa, whoa, do you wanna really want to pull the lion's tail, Ned? And, you know, do you want to you wanna go there? This could start a war. And Ned's, Ned's like, very, uh, uh, like I said, I mean, this, maybe this is how you end up with bratty kids. You're very steadfast in your decision-making without... I mean, it's hard to not be when you got those two talking and you're like, nope, this is what I decided you to. But again, he's not questioning. He's like, just take this mountain out. We get another scene of a bratty uh, Stark, Sansa. It was a little bit funny of a scene because Sansa, Sansa kind of, in retrospect, so I was checking my notes, it's like, maybe the Septa deserved it because she says, uh, you wear your hair like a real Southern lady, which really, if you think about it, She's like, you whore. That's what she, you really look like a sellout slut, Sansa, is what she's saying. And then Sansa kind of is mean back to her. You, what are you bald under there? You old crone. Uh, not very nice, but again, she was provoked. And then they talk about Joff, and then Joff rolls in there. You get some nice music playing in the background. I'm not sure what instrument that was, a lute or a lyre or a guitar, but it was wonderful in my ears. And Joff's all romance and forgiveness and jewelry. He's like, oh, you're you're my lady now. Uh, I think wasn't her wolf named lady that he had killed? So, you know, that's not good. I didn't even think about that till just now, but hers was named Lady, I believe. Because I was about to start singing. Lady. I don't even know who that's by. Ending. Oh, 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 I love. I, I, I don't think I've sang that one before. Lady. Va, 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 va. So that's, that's, uh, I'll, I'll de-amplify that. So you go from that scene to this traffic jam. Who's on the back of this, uh, cart? But Roz. And it's, 
Theon's wannabe lady. He's like, where are you going? She's like, I'm getting out of here. There's a war about to start. Haven't you heard? I'm going to get out. I'm going to get into uh, King's Landing where all the dudes are going to be fighting these battles. You know, they're going to be horny. So I'm going to get some work done. See ya. And uh, then you get Ned. He's like, girls, you're getting out of here, and they're being bratty. He's like, no, no, this is serious. This stuff's about to hit the fan. And he's like, pack up your stuff. We're going. And then he's like, wait a second. So, I think she was talking about Sansa's like, I'm going to have babies with, you know, I'm like almost like, Dad, I'm going to sleep with Joff right now if we have to leave. And he's like, wait a second. And he starts checking that book. And he's like, He's very Robin. He's like, holy recessive gene, Batman. He's like, uh, black hair, black hair, black hair. Uh, then you got a pig roast and you got a drunk dragon rolling in, insulting everybody, breaking with cultural traditions, abusing his sister, both physically and, uh, I was going to say orally, but what do you say? Like emotionally. And, uh, he gets what, I mean, he gets a he gets a he gets a crown he asked for I guess he gets a golden crown, and that's the end of that jerk. So we don't have to worry about him anymore. So jerk score. Is this season? You see the first jerk to go down. I don't know. I have to think about that. But you know that's always good. One less jerk to uh, steal up scene time, and you know make fun of cool people. So that's the episode. So what are we going to talk about tonight? We got a lot to cover. So hopefully we'll get to all of it. I don't know what order we're going to cover it in, but we're going to talk about On Golden Pond. We're going to talk about Since You've Been Gone, Kelly by Kelly, sung by Kelly Clarkson. On Golden Pond's a movie. We're going to talk Braziers, and I ain't talking about the ones you wear. I'm going to try to dig into that heart-eating incident a little bit deeper. We're going to uh, discuss Chunk from the Goonies. We're going to find out who that guy was that went after the mound. His name's Lord Barrick Donaldson. We're going to do a little, uh, we're going to cover some root vegetables, blonde hair, genetics, you know, blonde hair. We talked about red hair and then blonde hair. I wonder if uh, George R. R. Martin, he's uh, like a, maybe he went to college about hair. I don't know, was he a cosmetologist or was he like a hair scientist? I don't even know what a hair scientist would be called. And uh, it'd be an interesting career choice, though. Because you think if you were like one of the, if you were like did really good in school, some hair place would be like that wants to cure baldness or whatever, or one of these hair, you know, joints would be like, hey man, you know, we heard you got straight A's and, uh, you know, hair follicle studies and the history of, uh, you know, recessive genes. We'd like to offer you, you know, four million dollars a year. To come to our, you know, but I, I know that other company is going to try to top us, so we'll just make it $10 million a year. So those of you, you know, maybe you should drop out of school, re-enroll in uh, follicle studies. Pretty interesting. What else will be on the course, follicle? Man, that'll probably be it. Um, I don't know, some of the ingre- shampoo ingredients, conditioner 101. <laughs> I probably need to, I could take that class. This is some balsam and uh, whatever the hell else is in there. <laughs> oh, God. So after we finish up with blonde hair, at some point hopefully we'll have a visit from Sir Pounce and we'll say our prayers and say goodnight. All right, thanks. I'm glad you're here. First thing is uh, the name of the episode was A Golden Crown. For some reason, the first thing I thought of was On Golden Pond. 
which is a movie I've never seen before. It was a movie that came out in it came out in, it was a movie that came out in 1991, and the only thing I remember about it was there was something with a boat, and I, I mean I knew Henry Fonda was in it. And I have, like, the movie, like, thinking about the movie, and this is not trying to be uh, dramatic or funny. It, like, makes my makes me sick to my stomach a little bit because the first time, I, maybe the first couple times, I've kind of felt, yeah, I guess this movie was kind of like my uh, albatross or white whale. I'm not sure which one it's supposed to be, but uh, there's a time, like, uh, wow, I guess this is formative because it comes up in this podcast a lot when I had HBO, not very long, when I was a kid. And uh, so there was some point where I was, like, uh, stoked. Uh, I guess it would probably be after the Saturday cartoons. There would be usually a movie that would start on HBO around 11. And this was the where I first saw one of the movies that changed my life, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I guess it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. But uh, so every Saturday I would hope to relive that experience at 11 a.m. after the cartoons had ended. But for some reason, there was a streak where On Golden Pond was on then. And any other time I turned on HBO, this movie was freaking on there. And I knew it was like a movie, dramatic adult movie that uh, would just give me panic attacks. So now every time I think about it, I think, I'm not, and I'm not being facetious, I almost have a panic attack. Uh, almost like someone would, like an adult would be like, you're going to watch this movie with me. That never happened, but I guess that was a strange fear I had. But then I was like, okay, this is coming up, a golden crown, golden pond, so maybe it's time for me to give this movie another shot. And then I was like, well, maybe we'll run through the plot, but I don't want to go through the plot. I think I should watch the movie. Maybe if you guys haven't seen it, you should. It's got pretty good reviews. And it's a, it's interesting. Uh, first off, it uh, is directed by Mark Rydell. Like I said, it came out in 81, produced by Bill Gilbert, written by Ernest Thompson, it's starring Katherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda, Jane Fonda, Doug McKeon, and Dabney Coleman. Now, Dabney Coleman, that's it. You got me. I mean, you say Dabney Coleman, you already you got my attention. But then you got Henry Fonda, Hepburn, and Jane Fonda. Now, the, this is the other thing that stuck out to me. I'm going to have to run the numbers. It says it cost 50, its budget was $15 million to make. Its box office was 119 million, so that's that is impressive. So we're gonna skip the plot. That was, of course, you know, I don't think for myself. So I went over to Rotten Tomato and been like, "Well, I can't judge." So I was like, "Well, I can't judge a movie for myself." What does the tomato meter say? Tomato meter is at 92 percent. Audience score is 87 percent. That's a good sign. And then I looked down at the critics. I know critics are not always right, but I, you know, I have a soft spot for Roger Ebert. May he rest in peace. And I read his review. I tried to skip the spoilers, but let me just give you a little bit from his review from January first, nineteen eighty-one. It's beautifully written. Simple affection is so rare in the movies. Shyness and resentment are also seldom seen. Love is much talked about, but how often do we really believe the characters are in love and not in a simply pleasant state of lust and like? Fragile emotions are hard to portray in a movie, and the movies that reach for them are more daring, really, than movies that bludgeon us with things like anger and revenge, which are easy to portray. 
On Golden Pond is a treasure for many reasons, but the best one, I think, is that I could believe it. I could believe in its major characters and the relationships, and in the things they felt for one another, and there were moments when the movie was witness to human growth and change. I left the theater feeling good and warm and with a certain resolve to try to mend my own relationships and start listening better. All of those achievements are small miracles for any movie, but especially for this one, which began as a formula stage play and still contains situations and characters that are constructed completely out of cardboard. So that gives you a reason to check the movie out. I mean, it's one review. Like I said, the other um, algorithmic stuff is good. But then also won a bunch of Academy Awards. And then, I, so then I dug a little deeper. I said, well, who else was up for Academy Awards? Now, want to, you want to talk about a killer season, Academy Awards season. 1982 was the 54th Academy Awards. Let's just run through. Actor in a leading role. Henry Fonda won for On Golden Pond. He was up against Warren Beatty and Reds, Burt Maca- Lancaster in Atlantic City, Dudley Moore and Arthur, and Paul friggin' Newman in Absence of Malice. I mean, that's holy crap. Actress in a leading role. Catherine Hepburn wins for On Golden Pond. Diane Keaton was up for Reds. Marsha Mason, Only When I Laugh. Susan Sarandon in Atlantic City. And Meryl friggin' Streep and French Lieutenant's Woman. All right, you believe that? Actress in a supporting role, Jane Fonda did not win, but she was up against Melinda Dillon in Absence of Malice, Joan Hackett in Only When I Laugh, Elizabeth McGovern in Ragtime, and Maureen Stapleton, who won in Reds. Art direction, the Oscar went to the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Cinematography went to Reds. Costume design, Chariots of Fire, another movie I haven't seen. Reds I haven't seen either, so I'll have to check those out. Chariots of Fire I know from the uh, fact that dudes are running on a beach to that song. Bum, 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 And all the movies that have joked about it. Directing, Warren Beatty won for Reds, but he was up against Louis Mal for Atlantic City, Hugh Hudson for Chariots of Fire, Mark Rydell, Fran Golden Pond, and Steven motherfucking Spielberg for Raiders of the Lost Ark. The movie, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the movies that changed my life. Film editing, Raiders of the Lost Ark won. Makeup, An American Werewolf in London. Musical score, Chariots of Fire, took it from On Golden Pond, Ragtime, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Dragon Slayer. Original song went to Arthur's theme from The Best You Can Do. I don't know that off my top of my head. I thought it was, uh, when you get caught between the new and new, when you get caught between the moon and New York City. Oh, that is it. Oh, wait, yeah, okay. When you get caught between the moon and New York City. So I don't know, but I guess that is the song. Endless Love from uh, Endless Love. First time it happens from the great Muppet caper. Hold on, Muppets, you'll win. For your eyes only, from James Bond, and one more hour from Ragtime. Best picture did not go to On Golden Pond. It went to Chariots of Fire. Raiders of the Lost Ark won for sound, for visual effects. On Golden Pond, Ernest Thompson won for best 
screenplay based on material from another medium. And Chariots of Fire won for the best screenplay written for the screen. So that's the, uh, that's like ongoing plan. You should give it a watch. Uh, I don't know. I'll try to put it in show notes. I'll check Amazon and Netflix to see if it's, it should be on one of those two, you'd think. Uh, if not, you could go to your local library and rent it there. That would be my, my, my piece of advice. Super saver advice. That's it. So that's, that's what came up for me with, uh, a golden crown on Golden Pond. All right, so another thing I thought of is when Robert said, uh, I'm the king, I get what I want. It made me think of this song that's always stuck in my head, but I never realized what song it is. And I always say, you get what you get, you get what you get when you get what you want. You get what you get, you get what you get. And I just keep repeating that for some reason because because I'm with different, some illness in my brain. You get what you get, and you get what you want when you get what you get. You get what you want, yeah, yeah. You get what you get. And I, so I, that's the kind of stuff that goes on in my brain when I'm not podcasting. But then I was like, oh, wait, the since you've been gone. So I was like, that's since you've been gone. So, you know, it was like Robert was saying, I get what I want, well, I, but it's, just, it's not called that. It's called Since You Have Been Gone. But, and then I was like, okay. Well, that's interesting. Like, maybe this song gives us some insight into Kelly Clarkson, who's the singer of the song. So I started digging. Let's let's talk the lyrics real quick. Here's the thing. We started out as friends. It was cool, but it was all pretend. Yeah, yeah. Since You've Been Gone. You dedicated. You took your time. Wasn't long till I called you mine. Since you've been, yeah, yeah, since you've been gone. And now I hear, and all you'd ever hear me say is how I pictured me with you. That's a high note I couldn't hit. And that was all you'd he- ever hear me say. But since you've been gone, I can breathe for the first time. I'm so moving on. Yeah, yeah, thanks to you. Now I get what I get when I get what I want. Or something like that. Since you've been gone. How can I put it? You put me on. I even fell for that stupid love song. Yeah, yeah, since you've been gone. How come I never hear you say, I just want to be with you. I guess you never felt that way. I don't know. I lost it there. But since you've been gone, I can breathe for the first time. I'm so moving on. You get what I get, and I get what I want, and I get what I get. You had your chance, you blew it. Out of sight, out of mind. Shut your mouth, I just can't take it. Again and again and again. I get. I guess I again and again and again. I get what I get, I get what... So I was like, okay, is this some like Kelly Clarkson, Elias Morris? Is there a story here? Well, like all good stories, it's not the story we expect to hear. So I dug in. Turns out and Kelly Clarkson does a wonderful job performing this song but she's not the one who recorded it since you've been gone via wikipedia is a song recorded by american pop rock star kelly clarkson from her second studio album breakaway 2004 songs about 10 years old november 16th it came out the song which was written and produced by max martin and lucas dr luke gottwald was released uh as I said, I said, wait a second, okay, wait a second, Max Martin, songs written. So then I was like, so then you read more, 
It is an up-tempo pop rock and power pop song that infuses electronic sound with a mixture of soft and loud alternative rock sound. Martin originally wrote Since You've Been Gone with Pink in mind, but she turned it down. It was then given to Hilary Duff, but she rejected the song because she could not reach its higher notes. The song was finally given to Clarkson after Clive Davis convinced the writers to give it to her. Clarkson decided to add heavier guitars and harder drums to the song after noticing the demo had an obvious pop sound. So I'm like, wait a second, wait a second, these guys. I mean, the stuff about Pink and Hilary Duff's interesting, but then I was like, who's this Max Martin guy and Dr. Luke? Max Martin, via Wikipedia. Born Max Martin Sandberg, February, well, we don't need Professionally, he's known as Max Martin. He's a Swedish music producer and songwriter. He rose to prominence in the 90s after crafting a string of major hits for artists such as Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, and NSYNC. Some of his uh, earlier hits include I Want It That Way, Baby One More Time and It's My Life, I Want It That Way, Baby, One More Time, It's My Something. His trademark during the second half of the 90s and early 2000s was danceable, keyboard-laden pop sound that blended music styles such as funk, heavy metal, and Europop. However, with Kelly Clarkson's song Since You've Been Gone and Behind These Hazel Eyes, Martin stepped back into the spotlight after reinventing himself with a heavier, rock-tinged sound. Okay, if you're sit. If you're not sitting down, get ready for this. Since 19, just since just since 1999, he has written or co-written 18 Billboard number one hits, most of, most of which he also produced or co-produced. So what by Pink, I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry, Hold It Against Me by Britney Spears, One More Night by Maroon 5. So then I shot over this Dr. Luke, Lucas Sebastian Luke Gottwald, better known as Dr. Lucas, an American songwriter, record producer, multi-instrumentalist, and remixer. Dr. Luke's professional career began on Saturday Night Live as a house band's lead guitarist in 1997 and producing remixes for artists such as Bon Jovi and Gravediggers. He came into prominence in 2004 for producing Kelly Clarkson's single, single, since you've been gone with Max Martin. Dr. Luke continued to co-write and produce commercially successful records such as Who Knew for Pink, Girlfriend for Avril Lavigne, I Kissed a Girl for Katy Perry. Before leaving Saturday Night Live and reuniting with Clarkson for My Life Would Suck Without You in 2009. So it's just mind-blowing me to discover, like, okay, these guys crafted these songs, and they have this string of hits, and I've heard other people interviewed about these hits these pop hits and i think part of people want to be like okay these guys are just craft like the to show the soulless side of pop because i think i've read more that uh max martin's even been in like i mean he's doing pop right now i think with uh i mean i think max martin's like still churning out hits but it's like okay is this a sign of the soullessness of pop or are these pop I mean, or these guys deserve some respect. Like, they are crafting uh, this sound, and they're working with the pop artists. Now it's different. They're, they're, it's like a, it's different than our our um, 
of a four, and I, again, I don't play any musical instruments, so this is coming from a total, but it's like different than a, a typical idea of a, a musician. But is it, does that negate it, that it's not someone crafting it, you know, from the ground up, like these guys are crafting it and then finding the right person and bringing the right piece. Well, it's kind of like they're moving a puzzle around, but, but it does not make it any less artistic in some sense. I mean, it's also commercial and I'm sure they're making it, they're making pop music, so they're making it to be popular. But is that that different than, let's say, writing a movie for Marvel? And is that any, that's not, I mean, the, 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 I listened to an interview with the woman that wrote Guardians of the Galaxy, and I would say she's an artist and someone I have great respect for. But, um, so I don't know. It's just interesting to know that, I don't know. And again, like as someone that's just recently come back because of uh, technology to be like, okay, let me listen to a little bit of this pop music. And it doesn't help that uh, like Ariana Grande has got like these short shorts on her album cover or whatever. Is that what Ariana Grande or whatever? But, uh, you know, it's enjoyable pop music. It's it's not, it's not, hmm. Not sure there's a right or wrong way to talk about it, and everybody's taste is different. But, you know, I guess one thing that I strive for that I have trouble with in my regular day-to-day life, but when I put on my podcast hat and I'm like, okay, dear Scooter, you take over because you're a little bit more balanced than, than Drew, the person that writes this, is that what if we, why does it always have to be right and wrong and black and white? Like, can we live in this gray area where it's like, Okay, these people are working. This takes some work to make these pop songs, and there's not a lot of people that are really, really good at it. And sure, there's pop music that comes out of nowhere, but I, I don't know. It's like I'm a harsh person and a judgmental person, but sometimes it's like, oh, can I, can I be open armed to this or not? And it's just interesting. I don't know that these guys. And it's like I was just wondering, you know, who broke Kelly Clarkson's heart. Next thing I know, I'm finding. Dr. Luke and Max are behind it, but they're not breaking her heart. They're breaking her bank. And I mean, in a way, like filling it up till it's broken. So that's, you know, that's that. Uh, let's, let's keep moving. So the next thing was the scene with the dragon eggs and the Khaleesi. She had that thing in her tent. I was like, is that a brassiere? Like, uh, is that a heater? You know, is that the source for heat in that tent? And I was like, is this the kind of thing that causes... CO2, do I need to worry about the Khaleesi's health and CO2 poisoning? So I dug into this a little bit for you. So what are, it's a charcoal brazier, I'm assuming. It's B-R-A-Z-I-E-R-S. According to uh, historyforkids.org, charcoal braziers for kids, that's pretty funny. Like, you don't want to know, to take that headline the wrong way. No, kids should have charcoal brazier. A brazier, brass year. Your brassier, your maybe I'm pronouncing brassier, brassier, is a kind of portable grill usually made out of clay, but sometimes bronze or iron, which held charcoal or wood fires. You used it to heat your apartment or cook on. The modern equivalent would be a little hibachi. Little hibachi, hi, little hibachi, come here, boy. Braziers, brassiers, were widely used throughout the ancient world, from China all across Asia to Rome. They were less common in northern Europe where most people cooked over wood fires. 
Amazon says container for fire, upright or hanging metal bowl or box. Used for burning solid fuel to provide heat and light. They could also be used for cooking or cultural rituals. They've been uncovered from lots of places. They're mentioned in the Bible. The word brazier's of Egyptian origin. The Roman Emperor Jovian was poisoned by the fumes from brazier in his tent in CE 364, ending the line of Constantine. Hey, Khaleesi, listen to that. I don't know about these brazier's. Despite the risks associated with burning charcoal on open fire, braziers were widely adopted as a source of domestic heat, particularly in the Spanish-speaking world. So that's it from Wikipedia. Then I went over, I found this site called The Survival Doctor. This is a, because I was worried about the carbon monoxide. This is an article by James Hubbard, MD. Carbon monoxide is colorless and odorless, a silent killer. It's a leading cause of poisoning deaths. Wow. How can you ensure you and your family isn't the next victim? When you're camping or the heat goes off, remember to have a working chimney. Makeshift heating may be your greatest danger. Carbon monoxide is a byproduct of burning fossil fuels. This includes gas, paper, candles, charcoal, and wood. With any heat source other than pure electricity, you must vent the fumes to the outside or risk carbon monoxide poisoning. The venting must have no leaks, no exceptions. Khaleesi, this is not safe. Signs of carbon monoxide poisoning. Think flu-like symptoms without the fever. Headaches, drowsiness, heart palpitations, to name a few. Add depression, hallucinations for low-dose, long-term exposures. Some supposedly haunted houses have been explained by residents' chronic carbon monoxide poisoning and resultant hallucinations. Get out is the treatment for carbon monoxide poisoning. The treatment, pure oxygen, pure oxygen. If you have a tank, most people don't, so go outside and get fresh air, Khaleesi. Of course, call an ambulance. We don't have one. Frog in a flying pan, how carbon monoxide works. Carbon monoxide kills by replacing the oxygen in your red blood cells. It sticks on the cell where the oxygen should, should be and won't let go. Inhaling carbon dioxide slowly deprives your body of essential oxygen and you never get short of breath. Kind of like the proverbial frog in the frying pan. I thought that was a lobster in the water, but supposedly if you turn the heat up gradually, it won't know it's burning to death. Oh, that's depressing. You know, fry a frog? What kind of person? Oh, God, this world. With carbon monoxide, you go to sleep and you don't wake up. Okay, so Khaleesi, I'm going to have to advise a different heat source. Body heat. How's that sound? Me, you, future people that work for you. That other woman's beautiful too. It'll, it will it is known. We don't, you know. Yeah, well, just think about it. I, and I'm very, the good news is I'm, I'm one of those high temperate, high temperature, high core temperature people. So again, I'm, I, well, actually, I'm not into snuggling though. But I could be, I guess. You are the, you know, my, um, I don't know. I mean, sure that Kyle would, 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 uh, wouldn't mind too much. I'll be keeping you warm. I mean, I mean then the heat's going to, but I, I guess I, I'm just saying I'm very warm-blooded. I'm hot-blooded. Check it and see. So that's an option because I don't want, I honestly don't want you suffocating. All right. All right, so the other thing was like the whole thing with Khaleesi was eating this thing. It looked like a, a heart. I think it was a, a horse heart. 
So I looked that up over at GameOfThronesWicca.com. The Dosh Colleen Priestesses in the Dothraki Holy City of Vas Dothrak officiate a special ceremony where a Khaleesi is expecting a child. The pregnant Khaleesi must consume an entire raw stallion heart, accompanied by the chanting of the Dos Kaleen as they read the meaning of numerous omens. If the pregnant Khaleesi is able to consume the entire stallion's heart, it means the Kal's unborn child will be strong. It is a negative omen if the pregnant Khaleesi fails to consume the entire heart or wretches any of it up. All made the more difficult because she's pregnant. After Danny, Daenerys Targaryen learns that she is pregnant with Khal Drogo's child, she must go through the heart eating ceremony. While for a moment she almost vomits it back up, she manages to regain control of herself and finish the entire stallion's heart. Having succeeded, the Dosh Colleen promise her that her child is a son will be the stallion that mounts the world. Triumphant, albeit smeared with raw horse blood, Danny proclaims that the young prince rides inside her, and she will name him Rego, combining the names of her dead older brother, Prince Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, and her husband, Drogo. Behind the scenes, according to actress Amelia Clark. The prop she used for the stallion's heart was made of a gummy bear-like material, which actually tasted awful, so the difficulty with which she seems to be eating it is a genuine physical reaction. It had something to do... It had to be something she could really bite, chew, and swallow because it it would have seemed fake if she was only miming the act. The gummy heart was injected with fake blood which was basically a sugar syrup so that it could burst out as she bit into it the way real blood would if she was eating a real stallion's heart. By the end, the actress was covered in the stuff which was like glue and everything stuck to her. She even, when she used the bathroom, she even glued herself to the toilet seat. In the inside the episode featurette, D.B. 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 Weiss described the prop as basically a giant three-pound gummy bear covered in fake sugar blood, which had the added attraction of drawing real flies. Weiss also also confirmed that the point when Daenerys almost wretches up the heart was a real physical reaction. Moreover, Clark is a relatively small woman, and the horse heart prop was literally half the size of her head. The production team also pointed out that Daenerys might have only eaten half the heart, might might have eaten the heart once in the story, but Clark had to film multiple and prolonged takes while eating the heart because the entire scene focuses on it. And it has to go on in the background while her brother is talking to Jorah. The prop was intentionally made to taste bad to further her performance. If it tasted like candy, it would have lost some of the effect that Daenerys is choking down. Oh, that's jerks. So I thought that was an interesting little thing, because uh, I was wondering what was going on. And the Dosh Colleen, just to finish out, is they're the ruling group within the Dothraki social hierarchy, specifically the Crones, who reside over the Holy City 
Avas Dothrak, the Dosh Kaleen, are comprised of the widows of slain Kals and serve as the seers for telling the future and interpreting omens for the Dothraki. In this capacity, they also serve as the leaders of the Dothraki religion. Even powerful Kals and fierce male Dothraki warriors feared disobeying the will of the Dos Kaleen. All right, so that's it. That's that's interesting stuff there. All right. All right, so the next thing that came up was this confession by Tyrion, which was delightful watching him kind of make a big joke out of the whole thing, which, I mean, when you're dealing with what's whatever Robin and Crazy Mom, you're going to, I mean, it, it's like, it was, I mean, it's almost like he was on, he was unwillingly on a reality show. I mean, I'm sure if they had reality shows back in Westeros, uh, Lady Aaron, whatever the hell her name is, and Robin would be like, Mommy, can we get, you know, can we get on that? And they'd be like, oh, Mommy, I don't like the way they're, the cameras, put them out the, you know, whatever. I don't need to go off about her because I already have. But Tyrion had a great moment, and it reminded me of uh, Chunk from Goonies and his, his uh, famous confession scene. Now... I know there's some people out there that haven't seen Goonies, and and I know I recently encountered someone this summer. May have been was at my brother's wedding. It may have been one of my other brother's wives, but I'm not positive on that. Uh, but it, it was like she had never seen Goonies, and she was like, you know, I really, and this isn't jo- again. I know it's hard to tell when I'm being serious or making stuff up because. That's the nature of this podcast. But she was dead serious when she said, I've really experienced a lot of uh, cruelty and meanness because just because I've never seen, like she's been ostracized because she's never seen Goonies. And I know we have a tendency to do that. Us Goonies fans are like, this is a seminal movie. Talked about it many times. Again, I'm not sure, like there's a movie that can compare to it. That was a trifecta of like winning over hearts And these are assumptions on the other end, like winning box office and winning critical acclaim. I mean, I'm not talking about Oscar acclaim, but like just a good movie. I mean, I think, and after I saw Super 8, I was like, man, this could be the next Goonies for these kids today, kids today. But I just didn't, um, maybe because of the content or the intensity or something that had a little bit of Goonies, but it, not the whole package, I guess. Not a lot of, there was comedy, there was there was comedic moments in lightheartedness, but it wasn't such a comedy. I'm not sure, but I love Goonies. I'm way, way over time tonight, so I'm trying to, um, I, should have, I shouldn't even have gone on this tangent. But so, Chunk speech uh, sticks out to me as important in a synergistic uh, coag- what do you call it when people, like, coincidental moment, the nice word for coincidence, I don't know. This guy, Tuck, made a comment on a website, our buddy Tuck, and he seems like a Goonies fan, so we're talking Goonies. But let's just get to Chuck's th- Chunk's thing, and if you get at some point in the future, I will talk about the summer of Goonies and, 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 and my life and how it impacted me, along with Indiana Jones a view to a kill, yeah, a view to a kill, I said it, and back to the future, okay? Yeah, I said it, a view to a kill is a, is one of a seminal movie in my life. 
just because at the time we crossed paths. Okay, so chunk speech. Let's read it. Unfortunately, I don't do a Tyrian imitation, but if your eyes are closed, you can picture... If your eyes are closed, you can picture Tyrion saying this. Everything. Okay, I'll talk. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee, and I glued it on my face when I was Moses in my Hebrew school. I can't do... Actually... I'm just going to do it slow because I don't want to even try to do Chunk or Tyrion. I have too much respect for both of them. Okay. Everything? Okay, I'll talk. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee, and I glued it on my face when I was Moses in the Hebrew, my Hebrew... And I glued it on my face when I was Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs, and I blamed it on the dog. When my aunt sent me to summer camp for fat kids... And then they served lunch. I got nuts and I pigged out and they kicked me out. But the worst thing I've ever done, and I mean the worst thing he's ever done, I mixed a pot of fake puke at home and then I went to this movie theater and I hid the puke in my jacket, his red jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and the, 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 then I made this noise like this. And then I dumped it over the side, all over the people in the audience. And then, this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life. So words of Chunk. A boy called Chunk. Maybe there should be a movie like that, A Boy Called Chunk. You know, be the sad version of it. A boy called Chunk. Because did we, did we ever get his name in the movie? I don't know. Well, let's keep moving, though. Speaking of names while we're at it, uh... Ned Stark sends out this man, uh, I believe he's a lord, Lord Beric Dondarrion, a wonderful name that I butchered, I think, a few times already. I think I was calling him Donaldson, but his name's Lord Beric Dondarrion, and he was sent out by Ned. Well, let me just read this. This is straight off of our buddies over at GameOfThronesWicked.com. Beric Dondarrion is a recurring character in the first and another season of Game of Thrones. He was originally played by a guest star, David Michael Scott and debuts, debuts, and debuts in A Golden Crown. The role may or may not have been recast, and someone else took over, or not. We can't predict the future here. Beric Dondarrion is a lord of Blackhaven and the head of House Dondarrion. Initially, he was sent out by Eddard Stark to lead a party of men to apprehend Sir Gregor Clegane, for atrocities committed against the people of the river, Riverlands. Biography. Beric Dondarrion, as we says, the Lord of Blackhaven and the head of the house Dondarrion. Dondarrion. He's a vassal to the house of... Uh, he's vassal... Oh, house Dondarrion. A vassal house to house Baratheon of Storm's End. He's a young lord who still enjoys the life of a knight, including taking part in tourneys. He is visiting King's Landing when the series begins. Upon hearing of the atrocities committed by Sir Gregor Clegane, a.k.a. the Mountain, Lord Eddard Stark, acting as Hand of the King, orders Lord Beric to take a hundred men, ride to Sir Gregor's keep, and execute him for treason and murder. Beric willingly agrees to the task. Now, where's Blackhaven? It's, it's in, I guess it's near the Dornish Marsh, this, the... Where's Blackhaven? It's in the Dornish Marshes, I guess. 
Dornish Marsh, uh, Dornish Marsh, Dornish Marshes. That's really hard to say. Dornish Marshes. This is still at uh, Game of Thrones Wicca. Are an area of the southwestern stormlands bordering, bordering Dorne, the Reach, and the Sea of Dorne. They are located on the northern edge of the Red Mountains, which separate Dorne from, Dorne from the rest of the continent. As a result, they have a cold alpine climate. Despite their name, they've been ruled from Storm's End ever since the Storm Kings of House Durandon Durandon asserted their dominance over it against the gardeners, gardener kings of the Reach, and several Dornish houses. They are marshes on the they yeah they are marshes on the border that guard the stormlands from Dornish attack. The fighting for the control over the marshes lasted until Dorn was brought under control. Until Dorn was brought under the rule of the Iron Throne through a marriage that we talked about last week alliance, one century a hundred years earlier than right now. The storm lords, blah, the storm lords from the Dornish March, Marsh, <laughs> the storm lords from the Dornish Marsh. Blah. The storm lords from the Dornish marshes still maintain strong marital traditions after centuries. Oh, still maintain strong martial traditions after centuries of constant warfare, and produce sub, some of the best fighters in the Seven Kingdoms, such as not only Lord Beric Dondarrion, but Sir Barristan Selmy. So Selmy is the guy that's with Robert. When he's chugging the wine, he's kind of looking on like, oh boy, this king is giving me an ulcer. And he's kind of amusing at the same time. And he's stressing me out. And how did I get myself into this with these fools? But I, I'm I'm definitely, you know, the man for the job. Um, so that's uh, Lord Beric Dondarrion. Dornish Marshes. Dornish Marshes. Marshmallow mashing in the Dornish marshes. I marsh marshmallows. Mush, mush. In the Dornish marshes, I marsh mash marsh. Okay, we got to keep moving. Root vegetables is up next. Why are we talking about root vegetables? Well, Roz was heading off to King's Landing in that traffic jam where she was talking to Theon. She was in the back of this cart. And the cart was, I didn't get a good look at it and I didn't rewatch it, but it, it seemed to be full of some sort of uh, tuber. And I, I use tuber in probably the most incorrect way, but like something that looked like it came out of the ground. And it wasn't a beet because as far as I know, beets are red, carrots are orange. And I was like, oh boy, so this is one of those other ones. Is it a rutabaga? Is it a parsnip? Is it a turnip? Or is that a, how do you even say turnip? So I started digging, and, uh, you know, instead of going through all these, because I still should probably rewatch it, but, you know, I trust you guys. And you're, But uh, anyway, I was digging, and I found this wonderful article on a website called samcooks.com. Now, there's no um, copyright on the website, but I'm going to assume that this is all written by Sam, who over on his about page is from a chef and manager at two restaurants in Philly, Vincenzo's and Avanti. Oh, he was the uh, manager of those. And then he's the was the food editor for the San Jose Mercury News. 
and then he moved back to New York. It looks like his name's uh, Sam Guccino, Sam Guccino, I think. But he has this wonderful article on his website, Sam Cooks, called All About Root Vegetables, Turnips, if that's how you say it, Rutabagas, and Parsnips. So this is our territory. So let's just... Instead of getting answers, let's just uh, say it comes with recipes, so this will be in the uh, show notes. Little note, I'm not a big uh, root vegetable fan. There's one time, this was maybe 15 years ago, with an, uh, someone who I was in Seattle. I went to some famous uh, vegetarian restaurant, and it was a, a girlfriend at the time, and her brother and his wife. And that was their, all their favorite uh, vegetarian restaurant. I'm, I'm not opposed to vegetarian cuisine, but I'm, like, very stubborn. So it's like, oh, I don't really want Like, that's not really going out to eat. Again, I'm, I'm a jerk. And I ordered some root vegetable something or other. I did not like it. So that kind of turned me off for root vegetables. And um, But I think I've had some, but, but I, I don't know. They're probably good for me. I probably would like them, but I don't you know. Let's, so that's the thing about the recipes is don't expect me to be posting that I made any of this stuff. Uh, but let's 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 talk, to Sam. There was a time when asparagus wasn't available in December, lettuce in January, zucchini in February. It was a time, and this is most of recorded history in temperate climates, when people had to stock up on earth-toned vegetables of fall to last them through winter. No greens, few reds, but lots of whites, browns, yellows, and oranges. And I'm pretty sure the stuff in the back of the cart was kind of a whitish yellow. There are root vegetables, or the these are root vegetables for which a special place is made, the root cellar. We'll talk another time about other root vegetables, potatoes, onions, and the like. But this space is reserved for those hardcore root vegetables that aren't quite as glamorous. Turnips, rutabagas, and parsnips. Root vegetables are often referred to as lowly. Oh boy, I'm I shouldn't. Have, I'm sorry, root vegetables. About this, my attitude, more an indication of their status than their location. When someone questions your intelligence, the appropriate response might be, "Hey man, I didn't fall off a turnip truck. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Was was um rods on the back of a turnip truck?" And then there are stories of families so destitute they are reduced to eating turnips. James Beard said that parsnips were one of the most are most our most neglected vegetables, though he personally loved them and preferred them to sweet potatoes for Thanksgiving. I hate sweet potatoes. But root vegetables are experiencing a kind of renaissance. Not long ago, Joel Partaker, the special products manager, of green markets in New York City was waxing poetically on the radio about rutabagas. And one of the singer, one of the signature dishes at the Union Square Cafe is creamy mashed turnips. They actually use rutabagas. Those scumbags? Uh, with crispy shallops. How the hell do they get away with that? Chef Michael Romano says he likes to make parsnip pancakes as a side vegetable with roast venison. So it looks like these subterranean Rodney Dangerfields are getting some respect. There's a lot more here about root vegetables, uh, the history. Maybe we should dig into this and just 
before there was his, this is the history of uh, history of root vegetables. Before there was agriculture, there was a turnip. That's how old the turnip is. Turnips were cultivated five thousand years ago. They were important to Romans as potatoes were to the Incas. While turnips are still often used in Europe, one would hardly call them important today. The history of the rutabaga is much shorter. In the early 17th century, Swiss botanist Casper something crossed a cabbage with a turnip and got a rutabaga. <laughs> Maybe Tyrion could work that into his material. I went into a, uh, a whorehouse with a cabbage and a turnip and also got us a rutabaga. Sometimes called the yellow turnip. It became popular in northern Europe and, in fact, derives its name from the Swedish rotabaja or something. Rotabagas are sometimes called Swedes. But the rutabaga hasn't found similar success in the U.S., nor is it universally liked in Europe. The French, for example, think the rutabaga is not much better than animal feed. Regardless of where the parsnip originated, there are estimates that their estimates from the eastern Mediterranean to northern Europe to Asia became a popular vegetable with the ancient Greeks and Romans, the latter often preferring them for dessert with honey and fruit. The popularity of parsnips spread to the rest of Europe and remained a mainstay of the European table until the potato supplanted it in the 18th century. Parsnips came to America with English colonials but never reached the kind of widespread appeal once achieved in Europe. So that's uh, a little bit about root vegetables. More of the Sam Cooks you can find in the show notes or over at samcooks.com. Thanks, Sam. All right, so next up is uh, blondness because that comes up at the end with uh, Ned being like dark of hair, black, whatever he says, dark of hair, dark of hair. And he's like Joffrey, fair of hair, whatever, blonde hair, and Jamie and Cersei. And he's like, I figured it out. No. So I started digging about blonde hair, and then I found this little article over at uh, Wikipedia that I want to talk about, and I'll talk about blonde hair a little more if we have time, but it's called, the the title of the article is Disappearing Blonde Gene. The disappearing blonde gene refers to false reports that a scientific study had estimated that natural blondes would become extinct, which was reported as fact in reputable media such as the BBC and the Sunday Times between 2002 and 2006 claims that blonde hair would disappear have been made since 1865. According to erroneous reports, the World Health Organization or other experts published a report claiming that people with blonde hair will become extinct by 2202. Jeez, well, we don't know if anybody's going to be around at 2202. What is it, 2014? So it's like 200 years from now. The story about the report was a hoax. Neither the WHO nor any reputable expert has issued such a report. Those who commented on this alleged report were asked by the WHO to retract. So this is the Internet um, thing, kind of 2002-2006. The extinction claim is based on a misinterpretation of recessiveness in genetics. In reality, unless blonde genes are positively unless blonde genes are positively selected against, blondness will not disappear. 
In the media, in 2002, BBC News reported that unnamed German experts had concluded that the natural distribution of blonde hair would cease within the span of 200 years owing to the genes associated with blonde hair being recessive. The article reported that scientists had said there is a reportedly low number of people carrying the recessive blonde ala, 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 something, A-L-E-L-E, especially in nations of mixed heritage, for example, the United States, Canada, Argentina, Brazil, New Zealand, and Australia. The dominant allelas, brown hair, black hair, brown eyes, overthrow, this is the disingenuous thing, the recessive genes are metaphorically endanger them. So this is like the blonde panic of 2002, I guess. Sub, why didn't they call it that? That's more, you know, catchy. Subsequently, the study was attributed to the WHO. In the BBC article, Professor Jonathan Rees of the University of Edinburgh cast doubt on the story. He was quoted, he was quoted as saying, the frequency of blondes may drop but won't disappear. In October 2002, the New York Times reported the WHO had no knowledge of the study. In 2006, the hoax was mentioned by the Sunday Times when reporting on the publication of a hypothesis when reporting on the publication of a hypothesis of the origins of blonde hair. In La Repubblica, according to the WHO study, the last natural blonde is likely to be born in Finland during... Where the hell do they get this crap? In Finland during 2202. Were they got a time traveler? It once again tra- traveled quickly across the internet. The hoax had been also featured on the threat down segment of the satirical television show, The Colbert Report, on March 6, 2006, whether Stephen Colbert suggested a selective reading program to save blondes. So there's like one more article I wanted to read about hair color since we've been talking about it. This is from the. Uh, TheTech.org, Stanford at the Tech, which is the Tech Museum of Innovation in San Jose. Hair color is a question. Can you tell me about the genetics of hair color? My husband and I both have dark blonde hair. Our son has blonde hair, but our daughter daughter was born with dark brown hair. Each of us has a parent with blonde hair and one with dark brown hair. I thought that blonde hair was recessive, and thus our children would have blonde hair. Am I wrong? My internet... My internet searches on the topic have only turned up information that there are several LLAs or whatever that determine hair color, but nothing about inheritance patterns. Curious Adele from Oregon. It's from August 17, 2004. Man, I thought the eye questions were tough, this guy says. There's very little known about hair color inheritance, but there will be some interesting theories. I'm happy to share what I've gleaned. It makes sense to me, but I can't vouch for it. What is pretty well known is where hair color comes from. Hair color happens because of pigment melanin, eumelanin, and fomelanin. For the sake of ease, we'll focus only on the eumelanin. If your hair has a lot of it, it will be black a little, and it's blonde. The amount of eumelanin in your hair is determined by lots of genes. Let's imagine, though the real case is more complicated, there are two possibilities for each of these genes, either on or off. When the genes are on, they make eumelanin, when they're off, they don't make anything. One other thing you need to know is that eumelanin genes work in an additive way instead of a dominant or recessive way. 
In other words, the more you melanin genes that are on, the darker hair will be, uh, Ned. So don't, you know, don't get all simplistic with your genet genetics, geneticisms. Given these assumptions, the answer to your question is that your son inherited a few of the on eumelanin genes while your daughter inherited a lot. To put this answer in more concrete terms, we'll imagine that there are four eumelanin genes that determine hair color. Remember, you get four copies of each gene from your mother and four from your father, giving you a total of eight. If one of these hair color genes is on, well, okay, it gets more complicated. I'll put in the show notes. You know, genes is like a math type thing. So it's kind of, that's even too boring for me to just read because uh, I'm not good at math. So that's, but that's it about uh, hair color. Well, we learned a little bit, huh? Hello. Hello. Yeah, Tom, just speaking in the mic. Hello. Hello. This is uh, Tommen. I'm back again. So good to be here with you. And I'm here with another tale. Tale of Sir Pounce, not with Sir Pounce's tale, but with a tale, a story, if you will, of brave Sir Pounce, the greatest cat who has ever lived, in all of the Eight Kingdoms, in all of Westeros and the Narrow Sea and other places that I've heard talked about in the north, even beyond the wall. They hail the name Sir Pounce, without hail from the sky, but a hail, hail, hooray, Hooray for Sir Pounce. Now, this tale of Sir Pounce starts out with the tale of Tommen. Huh. You might say, oh, Tommen, you don't have a tale. Well, I spin the tales. Now, one time when I was younger, I had to try to spin Sir Pounce by his tail because Joff told me to, and Sir Pounce clawed me, and I cried, and Mother said we were going to get rid of the cat, and I said, no, 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 it was Joff, he said, Spin the cat and throw it. And I said, no. And he said, well, I do not. Anyway, I, I, Sir Pounce said never to speak of it again. Far friendship was, uh, you know, Sir Pounce said he has forgiveness and the ability to forgive me when I'm, you know, not thinking straight. And that's what friends do. They forgive and they're friendly. And that's not very friendly. But I said, I'm so sorry, Sir Pounce. I'm so sorry. And he said, well, I'm sorry for clawing you, Tommen, and, and scaring you and having your mother have to, you know, threaten me and, and be close to you, closer than you prefer. So it is fine, Tommen. Now, how, how, what led to this tale is where we'll start. That's the beginning. There was one day when I was in my room, and this was back at the, for a brief time I had a room with a balcony. And I looked out over the garden, and, and of course I lost that room for dropping things from the balcony and pushing things from the balcony. And then Joff threatened to throw me and Sir Pounce from the balcony. And then finally, when I went to the bathroom off the balcony during a ceremony that was down there in the garden, and everyone saw me nude, Mother said she could... She was ashamed, so ashamed of you. What is wrong with you, Tom? And showing yourself like that and peeing was what a chamber pot is for. But anyway, so then I didn't. But this was the briefly the time when I did have the balcony before I peed off the balcony in front of all those people. And it felt good, I'll tell you. Tom, and I know it was wrong. Tom knows it was wrong, but I had a laugh. 
Well, no, I cried very much so. But so, Sir Pounce, I had a, this one night I was deep asleep, and I heard Sir Pounce screaming and, and howling and these strange noises. And I said, oh, dear, my best friend Sir Pounce is in danger, and I pulled the covers over my head. And that did not cease the screaming. And it was this howling and screaming and howling. And I went outside and I looked. And Sir Pounce was in the middle of the garden in the open. And he was rolling around with another cat. And they were he was on top of the cat. And he was pushing the cat and grabbing the cat and hitting the cat with his, his, uh, his, his, his waist and his rolling around and holding on to it. And, and I said, Sir Pounce, are you okay? And I just cried and I cried. And Sir Pounce shot this look at me when he looked angry and intense. And then the, uh, then the septic came and said, Tom, and get to bed. We should have never given you this room. Your room should have no windows and no doors and no balconies. And you should just stay in there forever. And then that's, I told mother, she said that, and that septa was gone. So mothers sometimes can be good. But so, Sir Pounce, I said the next day, I said, Sir Pounce, are you okay? Oh, Sir Pounce, oh, Sir. And Sir Pounce was so happy and purring before I even touched him. And I said, Sir Pounce, what happened? He said, oh, oh, last night what you saw. He said, I said, are you cut? What was that fight? Oh, Sir Pounce. And he said, oh, no, that was not a fight, Tom. That was uh, me and another cat. We were playing. We were playing. It was a lady cat. And we played. And we may play again tonight, Tom. And, and it's just a form of playing. And just don't worry about it. And I said, okay. Well, that seems fun. Tavon said, no, 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 don't. Uh. And then the next day I tried to do it with my cell and my sister. And I tried to reenact what Sir Pounce was doing. And Mother struck me. And it was painful. And she said, good, what is wrong with you, Tom and Tom and Tom and unhand, unhand your sister? What, what has gotten into you? Where did you learn that horror? And I blamed Joff. I said, Joff told me to do it. And he said, yeah, I would never blame Sir Pounce. And uh, then Sir Pounce came to me that night and jumped on my bed. He said, oh, I saw it. I said, Sir Pounce said, I saw what happened with your sister. And listen, buddy, you can't play like that. I wasn't really playing uh, and I said, but you said you were playing. And he said, well, it's a certain kind of playing. And I said, uh, and I said, mother struck me, Sir Pounce. And so said, Tom and Tom, Sir Pounce said, Tom, and don't worry. One day I will make your mother pay, but not today. Now, Tom, and can you promise me never to do that again? And thank you for not ratting out Sir Pounce. And I said, Sir Pounce, of course I can promise you. What what do you need me to promise? I said, he said, don't do that to your sister again. And if you do promise me never to do that, I will tell you a tale about my quest. And I'll tell you a, a magical long tale, Tom. And every night, want you know, to, to help you sleep. And I said, oh, Sir Pounce, that sounds wonderful. Because night is horrible for me when you're out there with it. When he said, well, I'll still be out there with the cat. But, you know, when I'm done... You know, you'll hear that's the fighting stop. And uh, no, I guess I'll help you go to sleep first so you'll be asleep. And don't wake up when you hear Sir Pounce playing. But every night I'll come for a little while and tell you this tale. 
and it's called Sir Pounce and the Quest 08. Like a O, O eight. And he said, I promised to tell you this tale. And I said, oh, Sir Pounce, can you tell it to me now? And he said, not tonight, Tom. And he's like, I have that cat's out there waiting for me to play, and I got to get out there. And, uh, you know, I, I can't stay. I can barely think straight right now, Tom. And, but I promise I'll come and tell you the tale tomorrow. Well, actually, I'll be busy this week, Tom, and so how about next week I come and I tell you. And I said, oh, Sir Pounce, I'm so glad you care. I'm so glad we're friends. You're so brave. And I'm not brave. Like, And Sir Pounce said, one day you will be, Tom, and I promise you that, especially after you hear this tale. It's a wonderful tale, Tom, and then I'll tell it to you soon. But you know, you go to sleep now, Tom, and you get out, you know, say your prayers. And soon, just a week from now, I think that that cat will be out of heat or whatever. Oh, it's heat, surprise. Oh, forget I said that, Tom. And if you want to hear the tale, you won't mention any of this, okay? And I'll be back in a week to tell you the beginning of Sir Pounce and the Quest 08. And I, my friends, will be back soon to tell you the tale that Sir Pounce tells to me. I just wanted to tell you the tale of Sir Pounce telling me about the tale and the stuff with my sister and uh, my mother said I, she never hit me, so that part is not true. It was just my imagination. And father was laughing at me and spitting wine on me. And uh, and I, I feel something inside that is so unpleasant. But when Sir Bounce is here, it goes right away. So I will be lying in bed, trying not to listen to Sir Pounce play, and not thinking about the smell of my sister's hair, or my mother, or the strangeness of it all, because I have a best friend who cares about me, and that's all that matters. Not any of these things I don't know how to put words to, or the, when I have trouble breathing and the septic says, just breathe what's wrong with you, or any of that such thing as that, and I hear grandfather may be coming, oh dear, dear, dear. But Sir Pounce cares, and Sir Pounce is brave, and Tommen will be brave until he returns with his tail, and I return with his tail too. T-A-L-E, not D-A-I-L. Okay, thank you. Good night. Hey, gods, it's me calling in, or whatever, call prayering in, checking in with a prayer, whatever we want to, you know, I'm calling in with some gratitude off the bat for, uh, Posty, who does our music. Christopher, sounds like an earful.com. Sounds like an earful podcast, gods. For Scott, Scotty, and Jennifer, the creators of our, um, our sigil that flies above. Well, when I, when I have an army, it'll fly above it. You know, the, they, they crafted that sigil. It's, it's purple. I don't know. You know, and it's nice. It's got a smart face, like almost smiling face, rested. So I want to thank you for them. Lord and the lady, of course. Keep an eye over their food truck at the Poconos Food Fest. Truck Food Festival. The links will be in the show notes. Gods, I don't know. You guys might want to take some human form. They got uh, chicken and chicken and waffle cone, gods. Maybe you could, like, fly it back to me so like while it's still hot so I could taste it. And uh, Defrustrator, Nick, I want to thank you for our new listeners that said hi, Elisio. Elisio over on Facebook sent us this awesome link I put on Facebook and Twitter about breathing at bedtime. 
and your systems. So thank you for that. For Chloe K and a geeky girl over on Twitter, thank you for the, those listeners and their kind, kind words. For the iTunes reviews. Gods, I want to thank our buddy, long-term buddy, Juan Tread. I think his website is wantred.com. He makes music. Blue and 20 for a nice, nice iTunes review. Hoodie Tree said the podcast is the greatest thing ever. Thanks, Hoodie Tree. Very kind. Hoodie Tree likes Game of Drones. And JVL, LVL, Jivel Livel. Jivel my livel, my shivel my mivel. She, she or he or it says it's unbelievable, the podcast, in a good way, I think. Assume, I'm assuming because they said they would give us 10 stars. So I'm here, Barky, Chester, Smith, Miller, Crone. Yeah, I did you guys in a different order this time. Before I get to the you know important stuff, the work I'm doing here on your, um, on your earth, or your West work I'm doing here in Westeros. I want to, I don't know, I got a little conundrum with these New York Jets because I don't know, I don't follow them closely, but I'm thinking things aren't going well. And I started thinking about George R. R. Martin and his, uh, I don't have any uh, facts. It'd be nice if I had some data we could uh, algorithmize to see what he's, when George R. R. Martin's more productive, if the Jets are winning or losing. It's pretty close to calling it a quits for the season almost for the Jets. If, if I mean, They might be one in three. So hopefully God's, you know, make them win this weekend really good. Uh, you know, I think Eric Decker's questionable. That's the only Jets player. Geno Smith, uh, that I know about for sure. But uh, if not, can you just tank their season? Don't well, We won't tell George Armand about this, but, you know, maybe they'll have some, you know, if, we, if they're definitely toast – then be less likely he'd be worried and stressed out physically or mentally, and then maybe he'll have some time. No, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll be more productive. I'm not sure, but it's just something I was thinking about. But you know, the reason, real reason for my prayers is my servitude and um, whatever. Uh, just stick, not gesticulating, but you know, my uh, whole, 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 you know, stuff I'm doing here to celebrate your names. And Chrome, you know, we're on your this task, so I wanted to update you guys on this project, uh, shut in or Operation Invalid. I forgot what I called it, where all these old people got thrown out of this town, and we got them down at this camp. And uh, if it turns out that one, there's no meals for wheels, gods. But I know this is like almost. I think this is like one of those combos. Maybe it's a test. Maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe I'm off my rocker. So. I kind of start from the the top. So, you know, I get down there. Like I was telling you last week, I'm like, all right, I got to get these. There's no one else. A couple, a couple few people that, you know, may, maybe were under 60. But other than that, it was all these poor elderly people, gods. It was really sad once I uh, got over my initial repulsion and revulsion at the stuff that was going on there and the, you know, the, you know stuff that was grossing me out. But, uh, I was like, well, I really need to help here. These people are, uh, they're not eating nutritiously. They're fighting over the food. Like they had spent all their money on like candy and baked goods. 
And then there was the sex stuff I talked about last week. There was just, um, you know, sanitary issues like all encampments. And then, honestly, God's ahead, like, one of those moments where I was like, I don't know if I'm up to this task. Maybe the God's picked the wrong person. Even though you guys didn't directly pick me, I kind of, you know, went out of my way to take care of this when I do it for you. And, you know, I kind of volunteered, I guess, I mean, for this job. But, you know, you guys maybe, I don't understand how the whole, I'm not into predestiny, gods, you know that. But, uh so, but I was like worried. I was like, I don't know if I'm not very good at, uh, you know, this whole thing with telling, you know, I don't know anything about, I'm not survival man. I don't barely watch that show. So I don't know what plants they can eat. I don't know what clean water looks like. I only know water, you know, might look dirty, but I don't know. Could you drink it or not? Where should they go to the bathroom? And then guys, I remember, then I was thinking about the bathroom situation there because that was, I knew that was one thing, d- disease and dysentery and stuff and just bad smells. And I know you got like, I was like, you know, upstream or downstream, if we find a stream, you want to be downstream, you know, and drink the water upstream. And then I remember, God, that I was like, wait a second, I worked at this, you know, these two huge apartment buildings cleaning them where it was all older people. I want to say old people because they were over 60 something, 65 maybe. And, um, you know, there I was just a cleaner and uh, maintenance site person, but I fantasized about being a dictator there and running things. And so then I was like, well, you know, maybe I, should I, is this my chance to exact vengeance or use my fantasies or what? And then I mean, I guess I should, this is like the chunk thing that came up this episode, Tyrion. Confession time, gods. Uh, if I, I don't know if you can forgive me for stuff that happened in another universe that's not parallel to this one. That's kind of like off on a, you know, I don't even know what intersection you call it. But, you know, when I worked there, it was mostly in the summertime. And I used to sing Christmas carols in the summertime all the time when I was there. And a lot of the old people didn't like it. And they would say, what are you doing? And I would ignore them and just keep singing. And then they'd say, why are you singing Christmas carols? Like, I'd, I'd be like, uh, Santa Claus coming to town. Boop, 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 Santa Claus. You know, I'd get on the elevator. Boop, 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 Santa. And they'd be looking at me. And then finally be one of them crone. That would just start getting irritated. Like, what do you, what do you, it's not Christmas time, it's summer. Be, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, uh, uh. And I'd increase my volume. And then usually there'd be some sort of yelling and I would just keep singing, sometimes louder, or I'd switch songs, or I'd do like a segue, or then I'd start whistling. Santa Claus, bump, 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 Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer has a very shiny nose. And I think I got written up for it, or probably more than once. But, you know, it wasn't... uh, I was like, well, you can't, you know, where's this? Show me the employee handbook where it says I can't sing Christmas carols when it's not Christmas. And, you know, they're like, you know what you're doing. You know, and I said, well, this is, is there no singing policy I need to be aware of? And they're come on, give us a break here. We don't need this headache. Why you got to be a jerk? And I, I, God's, I'm a jerk. Okay. So that's one thing. So I did not sing any Christmas. I don't even know what holidays if you guys even know about christmas so sorry 
Barky, just so you know, Treebeard, uh, I hope you watch those DVDs because I've got Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm looking forward to you meeting Groot or getting an idea of Groot. Uh, okay. All right, guys. So then I was like, uh, now that I'm forgiven for my sins or that sin, uh, I was like, all right, well, Matt, yeah, I guess I could start ball- ordering these people around. So I started bossing everybody around. And then next thing you know, I started finding stuff from you guys. I found a spring because some, uh, some dude fell into it. And he said, ah, they said, uh, Barney's up there. He's, he's trapped in the, he fell into the earth. And it was all marshy and wet. And I said, oh, Barney. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm, I, my legs are too hot. And this water's cool. And then he fell in. And then I said, oh, this is a hole. And then I said, and then I noticed that it was up bubbling up from the ground and then someone's like well this is a spring and i said all right well you know get out of there man what the heck and i said i don't know you guys gotta boil this water we'll just drink it whatever but that's our water so we'll put the bathroom way way far away and i kind of paid attention where the water was trickling so i think that spring i got to thank the miller for it because it's flowing water and you use flowing water so thank you miller and then we went down and we dug some of the latrines. And when I say we, this time, guys, I mean me. Most of these old guys, they there's a couple that used to be uh, soldiers or knights or squires. And they tried to act like, I was like, I'm going to dig some latrines. And they were like, oh, well, you know, and this is, you know, sad. I'm sure I'll be that way, in, you know, soon or, you know, hopefully never. But they're like, oh, yeah, we'll dig with you, Sonny. Well, I used to dig they tell me all these stories about running the eights and they, you know, digging holes. And I was like, oh boy. And then none of them, the whole day, like, started complaining about the sun. It was cloudy, by the way. But whatever, we got the latrines dug. And then, you know, I was like, don't you guys put something over these holes? And they were good for that because they found some, some like sticks that are already falling off trees, Barky. I think you just probably put them there. And there was perfect, there were some with holes in them, circles. Like, actually, there's one or two. I don't know how you curl those, Barky, but they were perfect. I sat on one. It was super comfortable. So we got that set up. We had the water. And then I said, uh, um, I used the same ghost routine from scaring the loggers. But this time I saw, I found some of the people that were, like, the most scary looking. And I said, tonight we'll... uh, We'll go out and scare some people and steal their wagons. And I said, just rich-looking people. So, you know, quick, I can't, I don't have time. But they would block the road and just moan. And some of them were just moaning in general or yelling. And then I would pretend like I was a a trap. I'd be like, no, those are the, you know, I'd make up some story and scream, run for your lives. Those are the ghosts of the witches of Westwick. And, you know, they they were cursed here forever to stay on this road, and they only come out tonight, so you guys better run for it. And then I have people on the other side, like another. And so usually the people would run, and because I was, like, so panicked. I, like, I'd be, I'm pretty good at being scared, naturally. And so I was terrified, so they leave leave, the, and then they would steal all their stuff, which I know probably is wrong, but these people would have, you know, anybody that didn't look rich, who, who's, if you got a cart or some sort of conveyance with, especially with beasts of burden, you're better off than these people down at Camp, uh, Camp Shut-In, 
So and then we bring this. So then we had food and we had um, there ended up being clothes. There ended up being some musical instruments one time. So then stuff started going was going better. And there was some arguing and stuff, but people were scared of me. I did not pretend to be, you know, I totally played up that I'm young and mean. And so I wasn't nice to anybody. And I was like, I can leave. That's what I said every time. I'm like, I can leave and just leave you people. And uh, I, good luck. Like, and by the way, I copyrighted, you know, which is a Westwood is copyrighted, not by me. And they said, what's copyright? I said, don't worry. Like, someone's going to come and arrest you. And then they'll throw you in a dungeon for stealing Westwick or whatever. Maybe it's Eastwick, but I said they were Westwick. And so then I, the whole sex thing. So a bunch of people started getting sick. They are showing, oh, it's gross, man. I don't even tell you guys like about the things. And so I sat the guys down because I knew it was the guy's fault. And I said, all the guys that were sick. And I said, who's the rest of you guys that are still, you know, let's be honest here. And I said, well, don't you guys um, practice, like, uh, safe sex? And, you know, don't you wear condoms? And I didn't know. And then they are telling me about lamb skin or goat skin. And they're like, no, we don't wear skins. Like, we're crazy. Like, no one's going to have babies here. And I said, well, you know, there's other things that can get born into your, into you. And they're not human. Like, whatever is causing that, oh, whatever, you know, stuff. The discharge is, boy. And, uh. And then they're like, well, we're, you know, why? We're older, you know, why would we worry about it? We're going to die soon. And I said, well, maybe not today. And I said, how are you going to use that thing when it's when it's doing that and with that on there? And they said, I don't know. So then I was like, what are we going to do about this sex thing? Because I can't tell them. So then I was like, oh, well, I guess uh, um, I can't do it. I don't know. So I tried to segregate all the sick people that want to have sex. And I said, if you already have this thing, like, you know, and I think they're probably sneaking around still. So that's not um, going good. But I figure we can weaponize this stuff probably. So that's what I was thinking of you, Smith. And I don't want to get into the details, but but consider it it's underway. Um, So when we get a hold of this alderman, uh, who I'm calling uh, Clegane, Bolt, Bolton Clegane. That's my made-up name for him to keep me angry. Sir Bolton Clegane, the alderman, or alderman Bolton, uh, you know, he's going to, That's so that's your thank you, Smith, for that challenge of the sexually transmitted disease challenge. That's good. Crone, this whole challenge I know is on you because the other thing is that luckily I'm able to tune out people because the amount of complaining um, and I'm not even asking for gratitude because I'm totally in servitude, you know. So I don't need. I'm gratituded for this. Uh, well, I might be lying. I mean, yeah, some part of me should be grat- gratituded for this opportunity, but maybe not. But you know, I I was like, just don't complain about it. I got You know, come on, we're robbers now. And then I tried to play some games. I said, let's pretend you're pirates or fairies, whatever you wish you were, you did with your life that you might have wasted. Now's your chance. So now we got like these different encampments, like the fairy encampment. We got the pirate encampment. We got the um, witches, which is, they're like really bonded. Those are kind of like my, uh, 
right-hand uh, women, the witches, and there's dudes in there too. Uh, but, you know, just witches, there's no warlocks of Eastwick or Westwick or whatever, but uh, they're all witches. I mean, most of the guys, they, didn't, they don't cut their hair or whatever. And so that's like kind of the update now is things are stable here. We're, I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to come looking for these witches and uh, then I'm a, I got a lie for that. Um, I'm going to pin it on that alderman and tell him, uh, I don't know, I got to flush the lie out. I don't have it. To, I thought I thought of it, but I didn't. God, I'm sorry. But that's it. I'm here, you know, serving you, working hard. I'm begging for forgiveness. And, uh, well, you know, notice I have not mentioned the maiden once because I kind of repulsed my sexuality drive is um been uh damaged maybe being down here and you know just stuff i'm hearing and seeing so don't worry maiden you're off i mean maybe i'm just gonna be some sort of priest it'd be nice if you could send me some weaponized nuns like warrior nuns that could also like deal with any festering or bulb like you know any pus or that kind of stuff because I don't one I don't have any interest in it and two I'm not good two I'm not good at but I'm right now I'm concentrating on my plans for Alderman Clegane uh, Bolton I'm gonna mess him up and uh, wreak vengeance for these people and then probably retake the town maybe I don't know what I'm I have no idea what I'm getting into but like I said gods this time somehow you know ever since I found you gods old gods and new and the newest Jester, what up? Um, you know, my, my, my like blundering into stuff and just trusting my poor judgment and starting to do stuff and then realizing it's a bad idea. When I do that for you, instead of doing it for me, when I do stuff for you without thinking, it seems to work out a lot better. Uh, you know, just blundering across this old lady or, you know, bossing these people around. Yeah, it's working pretty good. So uh, I'm going to keep it up. No more me and the boots and the maiden. That those days are gone. All my, um, you know, mistaken first steps are be for you, gods. Dedicated to you, you sweet crone, sweet, sweet, sweet crone. I don't know how sweet you are anymore. I mean, you're sweet crone, yes. And who can forget the miller who granted us with the spring? The Smith who gave us uh, the STDs. Barky, there's a lot of tree coverage plus those branches we use for the toilets, so thank you for that. Jester, I know this is a whole, you're loving this and having, I mean, you must be behind all the sex. And especially with that, I didn't think they'd be so loud, unfortunately, uh, for me. You wouldn't believe, I mean, if you can see the nightmares I've been having, you'll know why I'm swearing it off. Uh, uh, so thanks, Jester, for that. And that's it, gods. Thank you again. All I can say, uh, you might be surprised I'm saying thank you for all this because I'm, you know, sometimes I'm faking it till I make it. Like right now, I'm not really thankful. I don't know if I've slept good and I'm eating pretty good. I mean, all this robbery we're doing, witch robbery. Uh, so that's a cool thing. So that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Thank you all, gods, for that. Being able to be highway men and women, which highway men and women is pretty cool. So that's it. I'll check in soon when, you know, vengeance is up next.
So that's all. I'll check you guys soon. All right. Good, good night, gods. Good night. Thank you.